especially if you come from a journalism background, your default position is reactive. If you're in the media team or a media advisor, you're constantly responding to external stimuli. And as you say, you just do not have the time to sit back, raise the head and be strategic. But I think it doesn't necessarily take a lot of time. So disinformation has just gone wild and you know, different groups in the community are responding in different ways. There's huge climate anxiety with young people in particular. Something like 67% of young people think climate change is, is affecting their mental health. You need to be aware of those sorts of concerns when you're communicating about climate change because those concerns are quite valid. And the last thing you want to do is be dismissive of these worries. But then the challenge is, well, how do you commute? What do you tell people? How can you help? Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Hello, everyone, and welcome to GovComs, a podcast about the world of communication in government and the public sector. My name is David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, a very special guest, but before we come to her, a special mention is required of our guest from the program a fortnight ago, Mr. Alex Aiken. When we spoke, uh, Alex had a secret. Now, and that secret was that he was soon to become formally of the Cabinet Office in the UK, and he has indeed taken up a role as the communication advisor to the foreign ministry in the United Arab Emirates. Now, the reason he couldn't speak was because his wife was tidying up her responsibilities uh, at Westminster, but it has been confirmed. And indeed, Alex did say in his resignation letter that was published in Politico, quote, after serving five prime ministers, four governments, and through three elections, two referendums, a pandemic and a war, I feel I have done my bit. And indeed, Alex, you have. And in terms of supporting uh, the government's communication practice uh, and field, you have certainly done a lot, and I'm sure you'll continue to do so there at the UAE. So congratulations to you on that role, and I hope you and the family enjoy your time in the United Arab Emirates. But today, to our special guest and someone who I've known for quite some time. Ruth Dewsbury is a communication strategist with more than 20 years experience in government communications. She started in journalism as a cadet at the Western Australian, where, among other things, she spent some time as a rock columnist. Uh, but she has been in print journalism, both general and political news, feature writing, uh, section and page editing at the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, but then she sort of springboarded across to government communication, where she worked as a media advisor and speechwriter for two federal ministers before moving into the bureaucracy. For most of her career in the Australian Public Service, she's been a senior communications director for departments responsible for the environment, climate change and energy. And in this diverse and often controversial portfolio, she often oversaw media and issues management, major campaigns, international and domestic events, as well as stakeholder engagement, both internal and external. And she joins me in the studio. Ruth Dewsbury, welcome to GovComs. Mm, thanks, David. I'm very excited to be here. 
it goes our our relationship friendship goes back a long way. We were both in the press gallery way back mm. uh, in the nineties. That's right. You I love- were at the Sydney Morning Herald. I was at the ABC. Correct? Yes. I actually wasn't in the press gallery um, oh, with you? the Herald. I came to Canberra to be a media advisor. Ah, okay. So I would have met you in that role. Oh, in maybe that, in that role. And also, you know, general journo circles. Indeed. I love, refer, I love harking back to the last millennium, and you'll probably find me doing that quite a bit. Very good. <laughs> so what was life like when you, when you transitioned from journalism into being a, a, an advisor for, for senior ministers? Oh, it was a huge change, absolutely massive. And then um, an even bigger change, I think, um, moving from a minister's office into the bureaucracy. Mm. Um, you, as a journo, you're trained to think of things from a multiplicity of perspectives, but you don't have – you're not answerable directly – to somebody whose job, you know, can um, live or die uh, by what's happening out there in the media. And um, also you have no idea, frankly, when you join the, um, the government from media about how it works. You don't know how – I mean, I wouldn't have known the difference between an assistant secretary and, um, and a secretary. I didn't. Um, and it took me a long time to understand the machinery of government and then moving from it's a fantastic though you know it was I loved absolutely loved that job particularly when I was working for the um, immigration minister at the time um, lot, Nick Balkus yeah it was Balkus yeah. yeah and he was he was a great boss and we did lots of interesting travel it was a really interesting time for immigration because it was very focused on citizenship and multicultural and ethnic affairs. And um, you know, we actually, we had the international year of global, of tolerance, which was, um, you know, did a lot of United Nations work. It was really fantastic and it had a bit of everything. Um, law, multicultural affairs, um, uh, eco- economic issues around business migration, etc. cetera. Um, so what advice do you have for people going into ministers' offices, but whether it be from the bureaucracy or indeed from journalism or, or anywhere else? How, how can they be prepared or get prepared for those roles? Um, do a lot of research <laughs> right. into... More than um, you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was lucky, actually. I had, I had good colleagues and friends who were already advisors right. and gave me lots of tips. But um, nothing, you know, you really see... It is a bit sink or swim when you first move in, especially if you haven't followed um, politics in the gallery, from the gallery directly. Yeah. But um, I just feel so lucky to have had that opportunity. And it did arm me very well to move into the bureaucracy. But again, that was an an even bigger transition, I think, because um, as a media advisor, uh, you know, you are literally the mouthpiece or a mouthpiece spokesperson for the minister and you have cachet and you have agency with the department. Mm. You Um, certainly get people's attention, don't you? You do, you do. And then when you move into into the department and um, it's uh, you're in a completely different organisation um, and you have a different role and there are many, many more um, issues to consider and bosses to negotiate with and hierarchy to navigate. And it can be it's – a, it's a really steep learning curve. But on the other hand, um, I found that most of, the, um, most of the public servants I was working with were absolutely fabulous, especially the comms people. Um, and they were really keen to have some insights from a minister's office. And they were also, many of the policy people were very keen to learn about how the media works, how to use it. Yeah. So I found, uh, looking back over the last 
30 years of the career in Toto that really things have changed massively in the whole communications landscape um, with the digital revolution. When I started with uh, typewriter and carbon paper. <laughs> Same. And not metal. Yeah. <laughs> Tipex. Exactly, Tipex. That was, you know, doing it all, all the carbon copies was fun, wasn't it? Um, so starting with that and then having the huge digital um, revolution where your communication channels and tools completely changed mm. and um, all of a sudden the 24-hour news cycle was upon us and there was no downtime whatsoever not to mention the sort of explosion in channels um, that came out of social media and other digital opportunities. So huge, huge changes, and you just learn as you go. Um, I think probably communications degrees these days prepare people a lot better than you and I were prepared, Dave. Mm. Um, But I was reflecting on this, um, knowing that we were going to have this chat today, and while there have been massive changes... Um, a lot hasn't changed, like the general approach to communications and strategic communications in its entirety hasn't changed. And in some ways, I think there's a real need to get back to basics Mm. and we can get... You are an advocate for that, for this back to basics. But when you say back to basics, what does it mean? For me, I found that... Um, one of the things we struggled with in my most recent work, well, you know, over the last couple of years, is actually getting agreement with um, across the, you know, your clients and senior people in the department about what exactly are your communications objectives. What are the outcomes you want to achieve? Um, and that's absolutely essential because until you've decided that, there's no way you can you can determine who your target audiences are, let alone the messages and the channels that you're going to use. So when I'm talking about outcomes and objectives, what I mean is do we want to just, you know, the classic one is they want to raise awareness and understanding across the general public. <laughs> yes. Um, great. Okay. <laughs> How many tens of millions of dollars have, do you have at your disposal? Yes. But do you really want to raise awareness? Do you want to raise understanding? Do you want to actually achieve engagement with your stakeholders? Do you want to achieve behaviour change? And quite often, um, people haven't really given that a lot of thought. And they're thinking <clears throat> in terms of what outputs uh, they want to achieve, you know, what brochure they want to produce or what web, new website they want to have or they're thinking in terms of widgets and products. They're not thinking in terms of the changes that they'd like to see in the community, in the business, whatever the, your main policy um, stakeholder group is. Um, similarly, we need to go right back and talk about what's the difference between communications and stakeholder engagement. How do they intersect? What is it you're actually wanting, you know, to do with each of those disciplines? Um, Sometimes you can do comms and it doesn't need in-depth stakeholder engagement. Sometimes it is just a stakeholder engagement. Mm. But I found that um, we don't spend nearly enough time actually thinking deeply about what we want to see at the other end. So with that, though... um it is often such a high-pressure environment. There is so much to do. There are so many competing pressures that there's just not the time to stop and think and plan. So how do you overcome that? That's a great question. And I think sometimes 
especially if you come from a journalism background, your default position is reactive. When you're a media, if you're in the media team or a media advisor, you're constantly responding to external stimuli. Hmm. And as you say, you just do not have the time to sit back, raise the head and be strategic. But I think it doesn't actually, doesn't necessarily take a lot of time. Um, I think you, you need to do your research. And when I say research, I'm talking not only about formal market research, attitudinal, behavioural, all the work that's done professionally by various bodies inside and outside government, but also the research in terms of who's already done this, you know, who's already done it in your organisation, what can you learn from other um, departments, um, what is under your nose. Um, people tend to reinvent the wheel and start from scratch way too often, and it doesn't actually take much time, especially in this word of world of Google, and, um, and better knowledge management in departments. It doesn't take long to, um, to learn more about what has worked and, and lessons learned, basically. Mm. So, but in terms of t- turning a, a senior leader's head and stopping them long enough to actually, once you've done your research and you have a, a reasonable view of what you think it is, but you need those propositions signed off effectively by someone to say yes, that's indeed what I want. How do you do that? How, how do you grab that time and that attention, that, that really valuable asset for those busy, busy, you know, senior public servants, uh, advisors in offices? Mm. How do you grab that attention? What's the best way to do that? Um, first of all, hope I, hopefully you would have um, a strong champion and advocate in your comms branch head and division head. And they should be able to prosecute a compelling case with their colleagues around the board table. Um, I would, you know, you'd really hope that that relationship exists at that level. But to get them um, interested, because they're also frantically busy across dozens of different issues, um, examples, stories, case studies about what might be achieved and... um, Give them, make sure that you've done your homework in terms of the timing that you're looking at and your budget that you might want, whether you need an NPP, you know, whether you need a new policy proposal, um, talk to the budget colleagues, um, make sure that the comms people talk to the strategic policy people because they need to be best friends and joined at the hip. Um, And then ideally, at the very beginning of policy development and program development, comms is there at the ground floor and it should be a no-brainer that um, the senior executives can see the value. Has that changed? Because it is the traditional and eternal lament of people working in communications that, you know, we're just the, you know, the colouring in department, Mm. the end of the line function, you know, fix this, do this, make this look pretty. Yeah. Again, are you seeing that change, that there is this recognition that things have changed, technology has changed, it has changed the way people um, consume information, it's changed the way they listen, it's changed the way they, Mm. you know, it's changed everything. So do you think that there is that sort of emerging awareness at the senior levels that comms is a key enabler for them to achieve their, their objectives? I think in principle, yes. In practice, not always. Yeah. And I also think it's very um, very varied across different departments. Um, 
some departments, you know, live or die by their by their comms, and particularly service delivery. Big service department, delivery. Big service delivery yeah. departments like like DSS and so, health and yep. others. Um, policy, pure policy departments and central agencies tend not to think first of comms. Um, but I think that is changing. I think most SES running comms now have comms qualifications. Um, not all of them, but definitely more than when I mm. entered the APS. Um, and there's much more of an appetite for the sorts of disciplines that underpin the comms profession in terms of data analysis and evaluation and um, how to use behavioural science techniques and much more professional approach. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, lot, a lot more improved, but there's still nothing beats a really good pitch. And, um, you know, because really there's no point in having – you can have the best program and policy in the world, but if no one knows about it or understands how it affects them, then you've, it's going to fail. So that's, that's the sort of starting point, I guess. Mm. But to do that, back to research, because you've got to understand what, is, what you're trying to achieve, who with. Mm. So you've spent a lot of time in the um, environment, climate change, energy, water, in that particular space. Is there anything particular about that area that requires a different approach to communication or is... A story is a story is a story, and really, the you know the techniques and an emphasis uh, in constructing and yeah. distributing that and evaluating it are the same. Mm, that's such a good question because climate change affects everybody in so many different ways, and um, so many policies across government. So I think um, it also is highly vulnerable to disinformation. It's highly contested. We thought the climate change wars were over, but they're not. And in fact, climate change and the environment um, are both being weaponized to exploit the dreaded FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty and dread. Mm. Um, and so disinformation has just gone wild. Um, and it's, you know, different... Groups in the community are responding in different ways. Um, there's huge climate anxiety with young people in particular. Something like 67% of young people think climate change is, you know, having a, is affecting their mental health. And um, you need to be aware of those sorts of concerns when you're communicating about climate change because those concerns are quite valid. And the last thing you want to do is dismiss, be dismissive of these worries, um, but then the challenge is, well, how do you commute? What do you tell people? How can you help? And really, I just keep coming back um, in all the, all the work I've done across the various pieces of the portfolio, you come back to stories and you come back to people mm. and you come back to um, case studies that show how there is hope, there are things people can do and there are things people are doing already and now and you can learn from. Um, and I think we've, we've well passed the, um, the Al Gore period of the, the hockey, the hockey stick graph where people first realized the impact of climate or the, you know, the extent of global warming. Um, that was hugely successful in raising awareness. Uh, but now we're into a much more integrated, um, holistic and, um, joined up approach, I think. So, 
recently in the department we were looking at how to literally have a whole of government approach. I set up a community of practice for um, climate change comms um, and we had we set, had set up a GovTeams site, which is notoriously, you know, difficult to manage, but it's there, yep. um, so that we could share resources, insights um, and planning tools like events calendars and um, a consultation tracker because everyone's being consulted within an inch of their life. We don't want, you know, how do you stop duplication? How do you um, address stakeholder fatigue? Now, we've, you know, there's a huge appetite for, I found there a huge appetite for whole of government collaboration with comms people and policy people. And it was terrific because we found that comms and policy people, these are mainly at um, EL2 and one level, and it was great because they just could not get enough of talking to each other um, about learning and sharing. It's good to hear. It was terrific. Everybody wanted, everyone was keen to make sure that we had consistency in our messaging, that we were on the same page and that we knew what each other were doing. And also, I mentioned earlier, um, using what's under your nose and not, and not reinventing the wheel. We have, I mean, the, the, the Australian government has lots of regional networks out there mm-hmm. in um, places in Australia that are most impacted by climate change, you know, whether it's flood, fire, heat. Um, these people are really already feeling it. And at the same time, communities uh, like um, coal communities in places like Singleton um, are going to see massive changes in the future. Their economy will change dramatically. Um, and meanwhile, transmission lines, <laughs> hopefully they stay up, but at the moment they're getting blown over in Victoria. Mm. But we need to lay massive, massive um, lengths of transmission lines to deliver renewable energy to people um, and to industry. So it's in regional Australia that the changes are happening and where the government hopes that we'll see a um, renewable energy superpower. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's use the, the networks and the outreach that we already have. You know, we know we have people who are doing great work in these towns, whether it's for agriculture or emergency management or as a representative of Oz Industry in the regional yeah. office. There's so many, yeah. so many good people doing good things. We need to make sure that they, um, they have access to the information they need so that they can tackle disinformation and they can help be part of an informed part of the debate. Mm. And we need to learn from them about what's going on in their communities because we just um, we need to listen more. Um, and that's all part of you know, doing your research before you embark on your com strategy. It's interesting you mentioned this whole of government approach because whether it's climate change, uh, it could be artificial intelligence, it could be cyber security, it could be national national defence, it was the pandemic. Um, It really needs to become baked in, doesn't it? It absolutely does. As a a way of, uh, you know, building uh, alignment and coherence and, and, and clarity. Yep. And the, the, I think the pandemic contributed a lot to that. I'm sure colleagues in the health department would have, um, who've worked on it, would have a lot to say about that. But you're absolutely right with AI, and and everything's um, interconnected. Hmm. I mean, the sort of disinformation risks that. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you yeah. about that as somebody who has been, as you say, working against the the FUD um, principle and seeing examples uh, of. Um, 
artificially uh, generated synthetic media and and the volumes that can be can be achieved um, and the spread uh, what have you been thinking about that as you have you as you've observed it as you've seen it as you've seen its impacts what sort of thoughts have you been having as to what the government can do to to combat that uh, another really good question. <laughs> that's one. That's one area in which I'm glad there are so many really skilled young people coming in, <laughs> who can recognise a bot at fifty paces. You know, they yeah. can they can tell um, often um, when something's a bot. But it's much more but than media literacy, isn't it? It's it's, 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 it's not media. It's yeah. It's look, look at and it's concerted campaigns being driven often by from you know overseas, oh. multinationals, whatever, wherever they're coming from. Um, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of work happening there to try and address it internationally and domestically. Um, I think the United Nations is onto it. Um, oh yeah, Every, everybody's onto it. Everyone's, everyone's, onto, everybody's it. onto it. Trying to understand how do we track and know and understand when exactly. something is that's right. Tracking or you know synthetic. tracking is one thing. Yeah, watermarking and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. But I, I don't know. What I've observed from the technology and how it's improving at the and the cycles of improvement that you're seeing, it's it's it, you know it's got it's a pretty tough. it's got a pretty decent head start as it everybody has. else chases off after it. Has, it. it has. And the impacts. Do you worry about the impacts? You must. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think this is where, in response, there's no way that you're going to be able to track absolutely everything out there because the volume is just too much. But in terms of tackling it. Um, finding, uh, first of all, access to, direct access to really good information, the facts. Mm. People have to be able to get it straight away. And if you are monitoring and tracking, you need to get on and address the, address the disinformation straight away. Mm. But that raises the question of who does it? Mm. And you need um, trusted voices. Well, interestingly, I think the Australian Electoral Commission in the last election in particular were, were very good in, mm. in terms of doing that, having those trusted voices prepared, ready, skilled and able. And as soon as you know the moles sort of stuck their head up, they were whacking yes. them as quickly as they could. And, yes, absolutely. And flooding the zone pretty much with content and being able to very quickly stand up volumes of content to be able to, to move yep. it quickly you know, to that point where it was it was required. So, but it's it's fascinating, isn't it? As to you know, to observe how this space is evolving and changing. Mm. Because, again, as we mentioned, you know, from the tipex and the and the, to where we are today, it's not that long ago. But where 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 to next? Where do you see sort of where where do you see it all heading? And where, what do you see as the sort of necessary skills for people to make a contribution uh, in this space? Well, I think we've we've touched on on quite a few of them in terms of um, having access to up to date and accurate data and evaluation and tracking. Make sure that you're across. I mean, they are, we've been notoriously bad at doing that in the past. Um, identifying the champions and the trusted voices who can help prosecute, you know, help reach your audiences. Understanding, listening to your stakeholders and your target audiences. Um, in terms of actually managing the channels, um, I don't know how you – I'm not a social media or a digital expert, but I would love to see how you get out of the your own bubble um, mm. and out of, you know, if you're a conversation and guardian reader, 
how you know you're not going to be sharing things with um mm. with the block probably or you know survivor mm. or um so how do you get into those social those communities that aren't the usual suspects mm. how do you you know how do you get into the the church groups and the sporting groups and the um people who have a, interested in lots and lots of things interested in climate change but they don't have that in their group name mm. But it's interesting, you mentioned there before whole of government, and I think whole of government is one part of it, but I think the other emerging piece of all of this is whole of nation. Yes. So it's that two mm. that everyone's now talking about, particularly in the security space. If you look at the Defence Strategic Review, they talk about the security of Australia and looking at whole of government, whole mm. of nation mm. approach. That fascinates me because mm. I think there's something to that. I think that there's a way of joining the pieces together uh, and it's great to know that in that climate change space, we're already seeing that in terms of whole of government. So how do you take that sense of mission and engagement and um, I suppose optimism and breed it out into the community, into the nation, such that people see that there is a responsibility to um, communicate and act yeah. in this space? And Because the networks are there. They're joined mm. up. It's just... You know, how do you earn permission for your story yeah. to find its way yeah. uh, into those uh, places? So I think you hope one would hope that they tell their own stories. Yeah, you know, you empower the people yeah. and the community group and the yeah. business groups um, who are probably thinking, "Well, my story is not that." But then they tell you the story, and you go, "Well, actually, that's, precisely." That's and a if great example. If they're of telling their change. own stories and they're and they're being promoted and championed by. Um, their community supporters, and not by the, not necessarily by their local MP or by the um, by a political party, yeah. then um, you know it will resonate. And I think, sadly, um, the response to um, extreme weather events does build that sort of community strength. And um, when people rally around together um, against, a, you know, to meet a common challenge, mm. but I. It's, but we it, often drop off, don't we? You know, sort of everyone rushes after, to we the forget, space. You know, yeah, and how much goes, have we forgotten after the bushfires? Gets busy and, and away yeah, we go. Yeah, and a lot right. of those networks that are that that emerge, that are there, but then they come up, that we don't keep them up. And maybe no. that's a job for government as well to sort of maybe um, seed and strengthen um, and somehow. I would, I think so. Know, yeah, it needs to become just part well. standard way of life. Yeah. Not a, and so that these stories don't become extraordinary, they become the yeah. norm. So, Ruth, you've spent a lot of time um, working in this space. What are your favourite campaigns? <laughs> um, campaigns that I haven't worked on, but I re would hark back in the last millennium, perhaps. I, my favourite of all time, I think, was probably the Grim Reaper AIDS HIV campaign, because it, um, while the TV ads, you ne you'll never forget the uh, the bowling alley, um, it raised awareness that it wasn't just uh, an issue that um, affected gay men, it was the whole community that achieved that objective. But underneath that, there was so much integration of stakeholder engagement and media and other comms. And every target audience had their own, every stakeholder group had their own strategy from... Um, <clears throat> needle sharing for the drug community, um, haemophiliacs and people who, you know, be at risk for, for blood products, um, uh, sick kids, you know, kids that got HIV. Um, the, the whole community was involved 
And it was a very sophisticated campaign that I think was set world standards. And I th- I've always looked at that on that as a touchstone of how to handle a national, you know, how to handle a crisis, a global crisis or a national crisis. Um, not, but on a much, much smaller scale, <laughs> one I did work on in um, the Environment Department <clears throat> was the Little Green Army campaign. It was a very cute little campaign. Um, and oh, it was so easy. It was so we just it sailed through the various committees because it was a test based on testimonials from real people. These were young people who would be recruited to the Green Army to work on hundreds of environmental projects around the country. Eleven thousand young people, um, <clears throat> and we had a, you know we had an army of we had a representatives of about five or six that were um, the human face of the program. And their stories were terrific. You know, they were young, unemployed people. Some of them had mental health issues. They um, learned a lot. They got jobs at the end of it. They made friends. Um, They were in regional TV ads, but there were also great, beautiful uh, media stories. And in a way, well, we're talking about 2016-ish, I think. Um, Well, the program ran for some years. Um, and in a way, I think of that whenever I'm scrolling through um, Instagram or um, videos on social media with people's personal stories about um, how they're living their lives, what's changed their lives. Um, people can't get enough of learning about other people's lives. And as, as much as you can draw that into your communications to bring your programs and policies to life, then, you know, just go for it. And you can do it with, um, you know, with not just with people. Um, We had a very popular character in the environment department called uh, Mr Blobby the Blobfish. And he was a particularly unattractive marine species that lived about, you know, two and a half kilometres under the sea. Um, And... It was a way in to talk about science with kids. It was a way in to talk about threatened species, although I don't think the blobfish was threatened, but lots of marine species were. So just finding those, um, bringing things to life, literally bringing things to life for people just makes all the difference. There are you know, countless, countless other examples. And often it's, uh, it's even better when you can find um, the people that you least expect. Like if you can find an ex, you know, if there's somebody who was a timber worker in a former logging community who has, you know, who's now doing wildlife rescue or something like that, or has found a new job um, in a different part of the industry. Um, same with, you know, people who are transitioning out of coal and gas. Um, they might get jobs in critical minerals. Mm. Um the human stories, you know, all those little stories are just, um, they're so great. But again, you have to get out there. You have to get out there to get them. They don't walk in the door, do they? They don't. They don't. <laughs> and just a bit of advice then to people on how best to, to find those stories. What questions do you need to ask to find the gold? Um, I think, again, you actually, you actually have to go to the communities themselves use your stakeholder networks and ask and ask them you know who do you know who's doing amazing things because they will know and that whether they're pig bodies or local or regional doesn't matter just put your put your feelers out and um and also just in your normal life when you're out there as a citizen 
keep your eyes and ears open. I guess that's where the journalism skills come into play. Mm. Um, your radar's out. It has to be. Mm. And I think that is one of the great skills now that everyone can be the media. That's what, you know, technology has gifted everyone the ability to be the media. So how then do we use that, you know, to explain policy, program, services and regulations? That's really the, mm. the simple essence, isn't it? Of, it is. Of, of where we're at as to how do you tell those stories. It is. I know that's always been a passion of yours with Content Group. It is. Mm. It is. That's the business that we're in. It no. is. So what to, what's next? For, for Bruce Dewsbury. <laughs> oh, who knows, David? I'm, I, as you can tell, I'm really interested in this area. Yeah. So, um, and there's so much going on. There are so many groups doing amazing things. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of just still learning. But you'll be banging the drum for the basics. Just keep doing the basics. Well, my advice to, yeah, to GovComs people would be, yeah, get back to back. Just, just be really clear about what it is you want to do. Yeah. Because often a communication, strategic communications, you know, um, you get told to write a strategy and it's it's not a box-ticking exercise. You've really got to take it seriously yeah. and not just go Everyone's through the different. template and filling yeah. in the bits and pieces. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also having the courage also and I think the confidence to just keep asking the questions until you're clear mm. and be confident enough to go, I still don't understand what you're talking about. Mm. <laughs> mm. It's not in my – I don't quite land it yet. And a few more whys That's right. might get yeah. you to the point of, ah, okay, I get it. I yeah. know what you're looking for now. Yeah. And you can then go and apply your knowledge and your skill, your behaviour and yeah. your attitude to uh, you know, to find those stories and to get that. Um, yeah, that's right. Know, and to, ask, to right and ask your colleagues. Ask around. I mean, especially if you're um, so many great new people, young people joining the APS at the moment, they've got fantastic skills. Yeah. Find they, if they can find a mentor with some corporate knowledge yeah. who can, you know, point them to um, a bit of history in that area, mm. um, grab it. Years ago, I had a great conversation with uh, – a gentleman by the name of Conrad Bird, who worked who worked for Alex Aitken actually at the Government Communication Service, and he was a, a more senior person. But his big advice was about getting up and walking around. He mm. said, "I don't mm. That's right. in the comms teams. I, if I see you at your desk, you're in the wrong place. Absolutely, you have got to get out, and you've got to learn. You've got to build those relationships because yes. that's your job. Absolutely, your job is to be that connector and to know where people are and to be able to keep." the high-level concepts and objectives in your mind, but go out and build those relationships so that you can then you know, deliver <laughs> value and, and take advantage of that serendipity and be that person who is the yeah. who, jo who joins yeah. it all up. Yeah, and actually one <clears throat> great thing to come out of the pandemic was um, the number of remote offices and opportunities that we have now to work elsewhere in Australia. And if you have, you know, DeQ uh, has people all over the continent oh. pretty much um so get out of the office you're right there you're there go and go and you know go along to the next council meeting meet your local government comms people get out you know see what's happening in your community and um don't just sit behind the behind the computer yeah um it's really quite exciting oh look, you I, can, it's, it's you know, it, it's an emerging powerhouse, really, mm. the, the, the role and function of communication because of the impacts of technology, you know, and winning the, a share of a person's time and attention off That's the screen. Right. You know, we, we are the people who can deliver that for the organisations that we work for. But again, I, it's, I think it's a nice point that you raise about 
getting it clear about what it is you what you're, what you're trying to do what is it that you're trying to find yeah get clear about that get that signed off get every, get all the heads nodding in the room and then go okay leave yeah. it with me and I'll I'll see if I can come back with a with an idea and some plans and yeah. as you say come back with something uh, and it might not always be about a big long planning process where we take 5 days to sit around and you know no just get on with it. No, it shouldn't be really. In yeah. fact, sometimes, you know, there's nothing like a deadline for sharpening your focus. That's it. And test and learn. That's mm. one of these things, isn't it? You know, mm. nothing sort of ever, you know, too late to change if, it, That's if right. it's not going to work. And how often is it that we make decisions that aren't working? Yep. And if you can find examples and case studies. There's that word the again, more examples and case studies. So take that uh, with you, people, uh, examples and case studies. Well, Ruth, uh, hard up against time, uh, but thank you so much for coming into the GovCom studio here in the heart of Canberra. Great to uh, share some time with you, share some experiences with you. Uh, I'm sure you've got plenty more to offer. You'll be there or thereabouts in, in and around this very important social, economic everything issue of, of climate change in the environment. So all the very best for you and for, for your future endeavours. Thanks, David, and to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. Great. And to you, the audience, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us today, both myself and Ruth. It was great to have you along for the conversation. We'll be back in two weeks with the next episode of GovComs. But before then, if you do get a chance to pause and Go and find a rating or review on your podcasting app. Five-star reviews always help. They help the program to be found, and we would be certainly very grateful if you would be able to do that. But uh, thank you uh, for spending some time with us today. Thanks again to Ruth Dewsbury, and thank you, uh, the audience of GovComs. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes.